Hi, I'm Pastor Corey, and you're listening to the Orange United Methodist Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, that wants to help you find your place in God's story. And we hope this sermon can guide you along that path. Visit orangemethodist.org to find out more information about location, service times, upcoming events, and ways to give. We hope you enjoy. As the words are found printed in your bulletin, they're also found projected upon the screen. Let us pray. Almighty God, in you are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Open our eyes that we may see the wonders of your word and give us grace that we may clearly understand and freely choose the way of your wisdom. Through Christ our Lord, amen. This morning we have two scripture lessons beginning with first from Psalm 103 verses 6 through 14, and then we will turn to the book of Romans, to chapter 7, verses 15 through 20. So beginning with Psalm 103, verses 6 through 14. Hear now these words. The Lord works vindication and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always accuse, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he removes our transgressions from us. And as a father has compassion for his children, so the Lord has compassion for those who fear him. For he knows how we were made. He remembers that we are dust. And now from the book of Romans, chapter 7, verses 15 through 20. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good, but in fact, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me that is in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Friends, I am Adam Seat. I'm the lead pastor here at Orange United Methodist Church. Each week when I stand before you, I introduce myself. I do that because I remember worshiping at another church one time, and as different people stepped up to the pulpit or to the podium, they did not say who they were, and I was left inquiring, who is this person? Are they the pastor? Are they a volunteer? Who is this person? And so each week, I make a point to introduce myself, and that seems very apt this morning because it feels like it has been an eternity since I stood before you. 
A couple of weeks ago, my wife and I had a chance on Sunday afternoon to leave for a vacation, and we went and visited in Germany and then Prague. And then when we returned, I brought home a souvenir called COVID. And so we spent last week trying to isolate. And in fact, last Sunday at this time, we were worshiping by joining online. And what a gift that is, that we're able to continue to stream and to live stream those services. Because even though I was isolated, I felt still a part of something bigger than myself. And so it was just a powerful reminder to me, once again, of how grateful I am for the way that God leads us and allows us to do new things. Because just a few years ago, we were not doing this. And so that is one of those giftedness uh, things of being a part of this body of Christ. And so I am thankful to be back with you now and uh, still dealing with the lingering effects of a sinus infection now. So it just seems like COVID was the gift that just keeps on giving. But I am thankful to be back together. Let us pray. Oh, God of grace and God of mercy, we come together today with expectant hearts. We come anticipating that we will receive a touch of your holy presence. We come with hope, seeking shelter from the storms of life. We come ready to receive what you would say to us today. And so now, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you transform the words that proceed from my mouth and as they fall upon our ears and penetrate our hearts, may they be changed into the word of God that we need to hear today as individuals and collectively as one body. Lord, we pray this in the name of Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit and all of God's people said, amen. Back when I was a young boy, I remember my mother and father took us to a place called a bookstore. Have any of you ever heard of those? Uh, Pre-Amazon days, I loved when mom and dad would take us to the bookstore and just to see all the different books that you could read. And I always was fascinated by the discount table. I don't know why. I, I always wanted to see what books were you could get really cheap. And I remember one particular time finding a book on UFOs. Anybody heard about these things? Unidentified flying objects? And I bought that book and I read through it. I saw they had pictures, folks, of these flying saucers. And it had all kinds of detailed accounts about those who might be on those flying saucers. Oh, I was fascinated. And I was just in love with it because it was the mysterious It was that which we could not identify. It was that which we did not understand. Oh, I was drawn to that. I believed. I mean, I still in some ways believe that there are things that we don't understand. There are things we don't know. That's why as the years went by, eventually they developed that television show called X-Files. I was drawn to X-Files because, again, it explored the mysteries of the world. There were things that... Could they be true? And I know it was a fictional account, but it was always fascinating to learn about these things that we had heard about and to see how it might could be played out. And so, yes, I believe in the mysteries of this world. I've never seen Bigfoot, but I've seen the pictures and the videos. 
I've never seen the Loch Ness Monster, but I've seen that image that we all have probably seen before. The mysteries, these things that we believe that we may not ever understand. As people of faith, we believe in the mysteries of faith. There are many things that we do not understand. And so as a way of addressing those things that we do not understand and to articulate what it is that we believe, over the years developed a creed, a symbol, a foundation of our faith, a simple way of us being reminded of these are the things that we believe, even when they might be mysterious. Let's recite the Apostles' Creed together. You can find it on, in your hymnal on page 881. The words will be up here on the screen, but some of you probably have it still written upon your heart. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Today, as we're drawing towards the end of our study of the Apostles' Creed, we're focusing in on the forgiveness of sins. Now, for us to believe in the forgiveness of sins, we've got to first establish what sin actually is. Now, in the New Testament, the primary word that is used to describe sin, it means to literally to be missing the mark. That you can picture that in maybe an archer who is aiming at a target who misses the mark. Sin is when we miss the mark from what God's will for us actually is. We miss the mark. I have always liked a different definition of the word sin. For me, sin I define as anything that separates us from God. Anything that removes us, separates us, causes us to be off track, off the mark. Anything that separates us from God. And I believe that there are two different types of sin. Sins of commission and sins of omission. The sins of commission are those things that we do, those acts that we commit. Now, back in the fourth century, there was a Christian monk who outlined a list of foundational or cardinal sins which, from which all other sins would arise. You want to know how many he came up with? Seven. Say it with me. The seven deadly sins. That's right. He came up with this list of these seven deadly sins from which all other sins, all other sins arise from. Now, as people of God who are coming as confessional today, I want to invite you as I read through this list, if this sin is something that you have struggled with, go ahead and stand up. All right. No, you don't have to. These sins, lust, gluttony, greed, sloth, anger, envy, and pride. 
Oh, I'm so proud I got all those. <laughs> we struggle with these sins. I mean, some of these sins we've struggled with before our feet even hit the floor in the morning. I know just this morning when my alarm went off, that sloth within me hit the snooze button. We struggle with these things. These sins are acts that we choose to act upon. And I think that Paul is the most relatable when he writes those words that I read just a few moments ago, describing our struggles with sin. Paul wrote, I do not understand my own actions. Can anybody relate to that? I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good. But in fact, it is no longer I who do, it, who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that the good does not dwell within me, that is, in my flesh. For the desire to do the good lies close at hand, but not the ability. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Oh, those words that speak so strongly about that struggle of doing the things that we do not want. My wife and I were just talking in Sunday school about how we go eat at a Mexican restaurant and they'll bring the salsa and the chips and sometimes we'll order the queso and we'll be eating on that and eating on that. And I say, I need to stop because I've still got a food entree that is coming, but I still find myself dipping another chip and eating it. I do the things that I do not want. That is a struggle. We struggle with these sins. We struggle with the acts that we do. Oh, it is every day that battle that we fight, these sins of commission. But I think it's also powerful when we consider the sins of omission, those things that we do not do, those things that we omit. I find it beautiful that in our prayer of confession that we pray every time that we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we pray a part, a part of that prayer says that we have not loved our neighbors. We've not heard the cry of the needy. Those are sins of omission. Those things that we didn't do. And, you know, I know for me that sins of omission many times are those kind of things that I truly hold on to. And I beat myself up over it because I know I should have done something in this circumstance or I should have done something, but I didn't. I did not hear the cry of the needy. I did not demonstrate love for my neighbors. Oh, those sins of omission, they hurt just as much for me as those sins of commission. Now, when we say that we believe in the forgiveness of sin, we are acknowledging the reality that there is sin. There truly is sin. But this forgiveness of sin, I think, leads us into three different types of forgiveness, three different ways that we might experience forgiveness. First of all, exoneration. Exoneration is what I would say is probably the closest to what we usually think of when we think of that word forgiveness. Exoneration is wiping the slate clean, entirely clean, restoring a relationship to a full state of innocence that it had before whatever harmful actions there were that took place. There's 
several types of moments that we might experience exoneration or that it might come to mind. The first is when you realize that you have had a harmful action that was a genuine accident for which no fault really could be assigned to the person. There was no intent. There was no harm that was intended. It was an accident. And that can lead to ultimately exoneration. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't consequences. Years ago, I was sitting at the, well, I was at the gas station, and I'd filled up my car, and I was hustling and bustling, getting ready to go to the next thing that I had on my agenda. And I got in the car, I started it up, and I'm putting on my seatbelt, and I made the mistake of I began pulling away from the gas pump before I even really looked around. I did not see the car that was coming up behind me and going around the side. I heard it once I went crunch into the side. Oh, I felt so bad. I did not intend to cause the damage to that vehicle. I did not intend to do it. I had to deal with the consequences, had to pay for it, but I certainly felt horrible that I had caused this harm, this impact upon the other individual who was gonna have to take the time to get their car fixed and repaired. I felt miserable about it. Now, I believe in that moment, that remorse that I felt and the way that it was expressed and through the way that we made sure that that car was taken care of, I believe I was exonerated. I believe the slate was wiped clean because that was genuine an accident, unintended. Sometimes there's harm that is brought upon us that really no intention of harm. It's an accident. And I believe exoneration can be found there. Another time is when a child, perhaps, a child or someone else who for some reason cannot understand the harm of what their action is. For whatever reason, we know when we speak of children, a lot of times we'll talk about an age of accountability, but I don't know what that age is. At what point should they be held accountable for their actions? I think when we look upon the children, though, and we see their actions, sometimes we can understand they don't know any better yet. When my children were little, we lived in a parsonage directly across the street from the church. That meant any time anybody was at the church, I could see that they were there. And one evening, we had been out and about doing something, and we got home. And as we parked the car, there was all kinds of cars at the church parking lot. And people were out and about doing things, going in. And my children get out of that car. And my oldest says to the youngest, you, and I won't say what he said, but he said a word that he did not know what that word meant. It was a word that we do not use. We don't use that expression I, most of the time. And he was shouting it at the top of his lungs over and over again. And I was, I was so embarrassed. I was looking at the people across the street at the church who were looking at my child who was saying this word that he should not have been saying. And I'm thinking, oh, they're going to think I'm a terrible parent. They're going to think that I'm the worst because I'm letting my child do this and grab hold of them and let them know, you don't say that word. Now, the thing is, I don't think anybody looked upon us and said that we're bad parents because our child was doing this because the child didn't know any better. He didn't know what the word was. It was a funny sounding word to him, one that we would not use again. But you couldn't hold the child accountable. He could be exonerated. And that's one of those times that we can receive this forgiveness when somebody can't really be held accountable for their, their actions. 
And the third situation that we might think of when we think of exoneration is when the person who hurt you, when the person who caused harm, sincerely, fully demonstrates contrition, remorse. They have no... They have no excuse. Once again, I'm sure you're glad to be a little further away. I'm not positive anymore. I, I mean, I am positive I'm negative. So, but when somebody has that genuine sincerity, you know the reality of that apology. You know the reality. Of they recognize the hurt that they have caused. They come bearing that full, that full weight of that harm. And they seek that forgiveness. You know, in those moments, we can offer exoneration, that forgiveness. Now, another type of forgiveness is is similar, but not quite the same. And I would call this one forbearance. Forbearance is when we think of offering someone forgiveness, but not forget. Forgive, but not forget. We're going to hold on to it for a little bit longer to make sure that that expression of sorrow or that expression of guilt is sincere and truly real. I mean, I think about it as a child when I would do something to annoy my sister. Oh, I have an older sister and I would do my best to pick and to prod and to do whatever I could to make her angry. You think my jokes are bad now. You should have heard eight-year-old me trying to annoy my older sister. And every time I would do it, I would get in trouble. And my mom and dad would say to me, Adam, say you're sorry. So you know what I'd do? I'm sorry. Do you think I meant it? No. No, I didn't mean it. And my sister knew I didn't mean it. And so she might say, I forgive you. But she'd hold on to it. She'd remember it. We do this sometimes because we have that old saying, fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice? No, fool me once. (laughs) Forgive me. (laughs) Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. We're going to hold on. We're going to forgive, but we won't necessarily forget. However, when we do this, we're saying we're willing to forgive because this relationship means so much to me. I'm going to hold on to this hurt, but it means so much to me that I want this relationship to hold on. I need this relationship to be whole. And so in some cases, we may offer forbearance, forgiveness, but holding on. But ultimately, that potentially has a chance to even lead back to exoneration because we see the love, we see the sincerity within the heart. We may have held on to it, but ultimately, we can let it go. Now, the last type of forgiveness is the way that I understand it would be what I would call release. There are some things that are more challenging to forgive than others. Sometimes the offender will not even acknowledge that what they have done is wrong. Sometimes that person may not even be in your sphere anymore. That person may not even be alive anymore. They may even live in a different location. But the harm that they cause is still very real. And it hurts. We hold on to it. And it lives rent-free within us. It's paying this silent tax that eats away at our existence. And so the only thing sometimes that we can do is not by our might, 
but by the power of Jesus Christ that we might be able to release. Release does not exonerate the offender. Release is different and it does not necessarily require forbearance of forgiving and, uh, and being willing to hold on. It doesn't even mean that we're going to try to continue in that relationship with the one that has caused harm. It just simply means that we release. We go through the power of God and ask that he would take that and remove that hurt, that harm, that offense away from us. I think it's beautiful the way that the psalmist writes in Psalm 103, how the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always accuse, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far he removes our transgressions from us. And as a father has compassion for his children, so the Lord has compassion for those who fear him. As people of God, we all recognize we are all sinners in need of God's mercy. And when we come to God, one, we can receive forgiveness when we bring this heart of contrition, this heart of repentance, seeking to be made whole, having that relationship restored. But there are those that we are called upon to offer forgiveness to that it may be more challenging than what we ourselves could ever do. In those moments, I pray that we might be able to lift it up to God and that as far as the east is from the west, so he might remove that hurt. And as the father has compassion for his children, so the Lord might have compassion upon those who fear him. And may he grant us that release. When we recognize that all of us are in need of forgiveness, we accept Christ's call to forgive others. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. Let us pray. God of grace and God of mercy, we come to you as people who acknowledge the reality that we have all fallen short and missed the mark. We have allowed acts of commission and even acts of omission to pull us away from your presence. We do the things we don't want to do. We do not even understand the things that we do. And yet you still love us. And so, Lord, may we come back to you with remorseful, repentant hearts, seeking to live according to your will, seeking to live within your light. But then may we also be people who reflect the love and forgiveness that you have offered to us as we demonstrate that same love and forgiveness to others, restoring relationships so that you might be glorified through that. So Lord, in your mercy, hear all these prayers. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And all of God's people said, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Please join us again next week. In the meantime, you can find us online at orangemethodist.org.